I'm, I'm excited to preach. So if you've got a Bible, uh, open up with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 is where we are going to be this morning. We have been walking verse by verse through the gospel of John these last few weeks. And we now, um, we, are, we find ourselves in the Passion, which is the end of Jesus' uh, life. And as he is preparing for the cross, uh, we are, the time slows down in the Gospel of John. And uh, last week we were with Jesus as he was brought before Annas. He is bound. He is, um, he is a, you know, he is headed towards the cross. And, and we are kind of the final day before he, uh, before he uh, is crucified. And so this morning we will pick up in John 18 and uh, we will do verses 28 through 40. The title of my sermon this morning um, is, um, you can go back one slide, is Truth on Trial. Um, it's my contention that truth in our culture is on trial. That we live in a confused age. We have... Um, psychological confusion, people today who don't know who they are or what they are. We live in an age of philosophical confusion where too often new philosophical ideas are sort of easily adapted and put on and tried with no history of, 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 of whether or not it's good or worthwhile or valuable in any way, shape, or form. We live in an age of scientific confusion. I mean, just a few years ago, the term trust the science would have been signed off by almost everybody. And today it does feel like that's a contentious phrase. And in part, it's because we know that science is learning things all the time and having to sort of give the impression of a kind of certainty one moment and then backtrack the next can be confusing. We live in an age of media confusion. You turn on your television most evenings and you'll find a significant number of talking heads who don't know the truth about anything telling people who don't know the truth about anything what they should think about everything. And it's not a whole lot better when you open up your cell phone and you scroll through social media and discover people who are self-proclaimed influencers who have groups of people they call followers, who are happy to lead them down whatever path they think is the most appropriate. It is the blind leading the blind. And it's remarkable how it's so prevalent in our world today. Truth is on trial. We have spiritual confusion. You can... Not too far from here, you can take a walk down Venice Beach and you'll be offered a whole host of religious ideas, some of them involving crystals and colors. There's this text in 2 Timothy chapter 3 which speaks of a people who are always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. I think that's where we are at today. You can send your kids to the best and brightest schools that our state and country has to offer. And you can go to those schools and you can get all kinds of facts. We can stuff students with all kinds of facts and never tell them the truth. As Christians, we are to be a people who take the truth seriously. 
Christians take truth seriously. Now, when I say the word truth, I want to give you a definition because just to use a word and not define it is not that helpful. By truth, I mean that which corresponds to reality. And as Christians, we believe in absolute truth because we believe in an absolute God. More so, we believe that God took on flesh in the person of Jesus, the one who said, I am the truth. Now, we've been walking with Jesus, the truth incarnate, to the cross. And this morning, we are going to follow Jesus into his trial before Pontius Pilate, where we will see that not only do we live in a world where truth is on trial, but it always has been. So we'll walk through the forest of the text, and then we'll pause to look at the trees. If you have a Bible, we're in John chapter 18, verse 28 is where we will begin. It's what the the word of the Lord says. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. 
This morning, I want to look at truth on trial in this particular text. I want to think of it as a kind of trial, and so I'll break the text down this way. We'll first talk about the charges brought against Jesus as he is brought to Pilate. Secondly, we'll talk about the interrogation of Jesus that Pilate has. And lastly, we'll end by talking about the verdict of this trial. We'll begin by talking about the charges in verses 28 through 32. In verses 28, they've taken Jesus now through the evening and they've brought him over to Caiaphas and now they've brought him to Pilate. And as they bring him into Pilate, they don't want to go into the praetorium. That's where Pilate resides because they don't want to defile themselves. See, it's the Passover time, and they don't want to be in a space where there may be unleavened bread. They want to keep themselves ceremonially clean so that they'll be able to continue to participate in the Passover festivities. They preferred these kinds of ceremonial cleanliness laws, and it's amazing how you read a text like this. It just strikes me as odd that in order to honor God, they dishonor his son. Do you notice how strange it is that they've got this whole ruse of a trial with the intention of killing Jesus while at the same time they are following the letter of the law regarding cleanliness? On the one hand, they care about the sort of rules regarding how to live as faithful Jews. And on the other hand, when looking at the Son of God in the face of God, they're willing to completely manipulate the system so that he would be killed. Do you see the irony here? Do do you see that they get the rules right and miss the Son of God? Do do you get that they they have made the mistake of, of trying to go through the right rituals and missing the point altogether? Do, Do you understand that we have a tendency to do the same? That often for us, prioritizing religion or rules or those externals and missing the heart is the very problem with religion these days. How many of you got dressed this morning and are here because you're supposed to be here? Maybe your parents have asked you to be here. or Maybe you're, you're, you, you feel like it's the right thing to do. You're fulfilling a New Year's resolution. You, you look nice, and so you're going to stand up, and you're going to mouth all of the songs, and you're going to shake hands during the meet and greet, and you're going to smile when you feel like you should smile. You're going to go through the motions this morning and miss Jesus who is the point of why we are gathered here together. We can sometimes do things before God to externally give people the impression that everything is okay when internally our hearts are cold and unaffected. Is that you this morning? The Good Samaritan is a story where these This man has fallen into a difficult situation and the Levites pass by and the priest passes by. Jesus at one point says, you just, he says to the Pharisees, you measure your spices perfectly and you miss the weightier matters of the law. 
Don't be devoted to Christianity and miss Jesus in the process. They bring the Son of God before Pilate, but they stay outside. They want to stay right with God and do wrong by him at the same time. So Pilate, verse 29 through 31, he goes outside. He accommodates to them. And Pilate says, what accusation or charges do you have against this Jesus? And they've got the charges of doing evil. He's doing evil. Now, if you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll discover that they accuse Jesus of two things. One, they say that Jesus is teaching people to not give money to Caesar, which is not true. Jesus has taught that you were to render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. And the second thing that they charge Jesus with is that he is saying that he is the Christ, he is the king, and that Caesar isn't, and so Caesar should be overthrown. But that's not really why they want to kill Jesus. Make no mistake, the Jewish people in this particular point are willing to use the Roman law, the state law, in order to try to get Jesus punished. But that's not really what they're upset about. They want Jesus dead for blasphemy. They want Jesus dead because he has been claiming to be the Son of God. He has been claiming to be God in flesh, and they can't allow that. But they can't kill him either. So rather than actually hold Jesus up with the actual charges of blasphemy, instead they're trying to use Pilate. And they're trying to say, Pilate, you should punish him by Roman law. And Pilate doesn't bite it first. Pilate says, why don't you try him? But they say, we can't kill him. We can't kill him. They already know what they want. This isn't a trial of justice. This isn't innocent until proven guilty. right? Their attitude before Pilate is, we want to kill him and we can't, so maybe you can. This isn't about justice. This is about death. And they've wanted it for some time. They want Jesus dead. But it won't be done by them. By stoning. That's how they would have killed Jesus. It'll ultimately be done by Rome. And verse 32 says that this fulfills how Jesus said he was going to die. By the cross, not by stoning. This is about crucifixion. So the charges are brought. Jesus, guilty of blasphemy, but covered up by a threat to Rome of sedition. So here is Jesus now and Pilate in the interrogation. In verses 3 and 33 and 34, Pilate comes before Jesus. And Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, who do you think I am? Is that, is that what you're saying? Or is that what other people have told you? This is the most important question that we can ever be asked. The question that Jesus is asking Pilate is a question that I hope that you hear God asking you today and every day. Who do you say that I am? What do you think about me? That's the question Jesus asked Pilate. I know what others say. What, what do you think? Who do you say that I am? If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, I do not think you are here by accident. 
And I think that God wants to ask you this question. In fact, I think he's asking you it right now. You've heard of Jesus. You've heard the name. Maybe you've read a little bit about him. Who do you say that he is? It's a question that Jesus asked Pilate, and I think God asked us. And Pilate says in verse 35 and 36, I don't know. I didn't bring you here. I don't know the charges. What have you done? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is inferring that he is a king. But the kind of kingdom that he is leading poses no immediate physical threat to Caesar or Rome. His kingdom is from somewhere else. It's more spiritual than physical in this moment, and it it more resides inside of a people than people inside of it. In other words, Jesus' response to Pilate is, I have not come to establish the kind of kingdom that seeks to fight against Rome at the end of the sword. I just had a guy in a garden pulling out a sword very quickly, and I told him to put it away. That's not how this kingdom comes. Its members are not made at the end of a sword the way that the Romans are. My kingdom comes a different way. If my kingdom was an earthly kingdom, Pilate, if it was the kind of kingdom that you would be afraid of in the way that you think, then my people would be fighting against you, but they're not. And I wouldn't be here, but I am. And Pilate responds by saying, wait, So you are a king. And Jesus says, you said it, not me. It's not that Jesus is disagreeing with Pilate. He's just not declaring himself a king in a way that would make it easy for Pilate to kill him. And then Jesus says this. I was born and came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate dismissively says, what is truth? You know, there are people who are like that today. When you talk about the truth, they're kind of just dismissive of it. What is truth? They don't know if you can find truth. They're not sure about the options and the answers that are out there. There are many people today in our world who The way that they come to knowledge of the truth is by rationalism, by being rational, by being logical, right? The way that they understand truth is, truth is that which makes logical sense. So I'll believe it's true if it's logical to me. Other people are maybe what we'd call empiricists. And the way that they know what is true is by what is measured, If we can measure it, if we can observe it, if we can test it, that's how we will know what is true. Others today are pragmatists. Truth is just whatever works, right? That's the the, the newest diet craze is whatever works for me. Truth is about pragmatism. It works for me, therefore it's true. Others today, the way that they say you know truth is by what you feel. If I feel it's true, it must be true. Today we ground, many of, our, of the people in our world ground their knowledge of truth in what they feel is right. If I, if I feel it's true, it must be true. 
Jesus says, I have come to bring the truth. He is the absolute standard of reality. He is how we measure reality. He shows us that truth exists and that truth is knowable. Jesus teaches you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jesus teaches I am the truth, not a truth, but the truth. Now Pilate is dismissing truth while looking at truth in the face. And I've just got a few implications for us in this particular text. I want you to first notice that Pilate ignores the truth because it's inconvenient. Brothers, sisters, friends, don't ignore the truth because it's inconvenient. Remember that old children's story, the emperor's new clothes? Everyone's looking at the emperor. It's clear that he's naked. Nobody says anything until a small child has the courage just to speak what is plainly obvious. We don't tell the truth often. We ignore it because it's inconvenient. If later this afternoon I knocked on your door while you were resting on this Sunday afternoon and I told you that your car was down the street and on fire, odds are you don't close the door and go back to laying down. Odds are you go, even if I think Pastor Trevor is crazy, I'm going to go check on my car. Because the consequence of not checking on your car is significant. It's going to ruin your Monday. So you go and you look. And why do you look? Because it's consequential to not look. In the same way, I am begging you, do not ignore the claim of Jesus that he is the truth. It's too important and it's too life-changing. Don't put your metaphorical fingers in your ears. People today bounce around to find someone who will tell them what they want to hear. But truth is not always what we want to hear. Jesus said, by the truth we are set free. So if you're here this morning and you're wrestling with the question of truth, I beg you, take Jesus' claim seriously. It is salvation for those of you who are in desperate need of being saved. But also, secondly, an implication of this passage is if you are with Jesus, you are with the truth. If you have Jesus, you have truth. Amen? You can't be the standard of truth. I think you know this. But I want to remind you of this. You are sinful. You are selfish. Just last week I was watching, I don't know if you were watching, um, what is it, the, the, the Bengals playoff game? Heartbreaking game. The Bengals-Chiefs game, playoff game. And there's a, uh, the game ends with this, uh, with this penalty on uh, one of the players against the quarterback of the uh, Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, he gets, he gets sort of pushed out of bounds. Depending on which team you like, you think very differently about what happened in that moment. You ever notice that? How you feel, your favorite sports team, you watch them, a call doesn't go your way, you think very differently about the truth when it benefits yourself. And that's sports. 
You're sinful. You can't be the standard of truth. You also are limited. You don't know everything. Most of you speak one language. You live in one time in history. Many of you have lived in only one state. You've got the same group of friends for a long time. You, why do we go to school? To learn things. And in part, when we go to school, what we're declaring is, I don't know everything. You learn things all the time. You're limited. Not just that, you can't be the standard because you have believed lies before. I know that you have. I know you have each believed something that's nonsense at some point in your life. Maybe when you're a kid, because your kids kind of believe everything and lies don't have to be that seductive, you get older and the lies are the same. They're just prettier. You can't be the standard because you are sinful and you are limited and you've been duped before. You need an all-perfect, all-knowing, all-creating, absolute source of truth. And there is one, God. Romans chapter 3 says, let God be true and everyone else a liar. No one else can embody truth like God can. God is truth. Only God is completely and fully true. Which means that when you or anyone you know disagrees with God, you're wrong. Let me, let me just make that very clear. If you find yourself disagreeing with God, you are wrong. God cannot be wrong. God cannot lie, the Bible says. When you made everything, sustain everything, and promise to redeem everything, you don't get to be wrong about anything. Jesus says, whoever listens to my voice, he came, John said, full of grace and truth. If you listen to Jesus, you have the truth. Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Are you clinging to him? I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, sometimes it's very hard. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture happens in the Gospel of John, where Jesus stands up and he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and he loses disciples. Jesus loses disciples, and he looks around, and there's Peter, and Peter's looking at him, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, are you going to go too? Because I recognize, Peter, that what I just said is hard. And Peter's response is, where else am I going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Sometimes we hit these moments where God says something and we go, God, if you're, you're, you are truth, which means I'm in the wrong and I don't like it. But where else am I going to go? Your truth. You are the standard that we can cling to in a world where standards are so flexible. And this will be hard, brothers and sisters. I just want to remind you, you're going to run into people who don't want the truth. I don't know if that's already happened to you. It will. This other implication I want to tease out for a moment here is that, that Jesus bears witness to the truth, and if you are a Christian, so too you must as well. We are commanded to speak the truth in love. Brothers, sisters, go tell them the truth. Students in the room, I'm going to give you a hint. 
I'm going to tell you how you can be smarter than all of your teachers. This is it. This is how to be smarter than all of your teachers. Here's the secret. Ready? This is it. You just got to ask this one question about everything. Here's the question. What has God said about this? What, what has God said about this? You ask that question on the front end and not the back end, and you will save yourself a ton of Advil. So many headaches you will avoid. If you start with the question, what, has God said anything about this? What has God said about this? What has God said? We don't check with the world first. A world that increasingly says that how you feel determines if something is true. One plus one is true and will always be true. We must be loving when we speak the truth. Speaking the truth in love. But don't let anyone ever convince you that you have to choose between love and truth. You do not. Well, Pilate, he goes outside to give his verdict. So the verdict comes in in verses 38 through 40. And in verse 38, what does Pilate say? Pilate says, I don't find any guilt in him. Not guilty. That is Pilate's verdict for Jesus. Not guilty. And yet we know that Jesus is going to die. How is this innocent man going to die? Well, in verses 39 through 40, there's a customary exchange that can happen. Once a year, it's called, the, it's called the Paschal Amnesty, where a prisoner can be exchanged. And so Pilate says, do you want me to release Jesus, the king of the Jews, the one who was healing the blind, who was hanging out with the outcast and the oppressed, the one who was declaring the kingdom of God, declaring that in him is life and, and light and love, declaring that he, he, do you want him, Jesus, or do you want this other guy named Barabbas, who we know from all four gospels is a murderer, a robber, an insurrectionist. Essentially, Barabbas is a terrorist, scheduled to die by crucifixion. And so, so Pilate says, who do you want? Who do you want me to release? Jesus or Barabbas? Barabbas means son of the father. Do you want the son of the father or the son of the father? You want this one? This Jesus? Find no guilt in him. You want me to release him or you want me to release Barabbas? And the crowd screams out, Barabbas. The people would rather have Barabbas set free. I just imagine for a second you're Barabbas. Maybe in the distance. You, you, you hear a group of people begin to scream your name. And you think, uh-oh, my time has come. It's time for me to die. It's time for me to be crucified. And then a guard approaches you. And that guard says, you're free. You go, what? Why? Because uh, we're going to kill Jesus instead. What? Why? Don't really know. That's just who they want dead. 
Imagine how confused Barabbas must feel as he's walking out, thinking about or hearing about how Jesus is going to die. The guilty one is set free. The not guilty one gets the punishment. That is the heart of Christianity. You don't know this. You got to know this. This is the heart of Christianity. The guilty one gets set free. The not guilty one gets the punishment. That is what God offers to each and every one of us. You know, we say the Apostles' Creed occasionally as a church. And the Apostles' Creed mentions that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. In the Heidelberg Catechism, which is another old catechism, it has questions about the Apostles' Creed. And one of the questions it asks is, why did Jesus suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? And this is the answer. The answer in the catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism is, so that he, Jesus, though innocent, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. I am only speaking to those of you who know you do not love God as you should. If you know you do not love God as you should, if you know that you do not love your neighbor as you should, if you know that you've lied when you shouldn't have lied, if you know that you've lusted secretly, if you know that you harbor hate in your heart towards someone else, if you've stolen when no one was looking, if you've taken God's name in vain, if you feel that sense of that's me, I'm not innocent, I'm guilty, I want you to know that God seeing you in your guilt sent Jesus to die for you. Out of love for you, he sent his son, Jesus, that all who would turn from their sins and turn to Jesus, who would cry out to God and put their faith in him, will be saved. That's the truth. And it's not based in how we feel, but what God has said and what God has done. For me and for you. So I hope this morning that if you came in here questioning the truth, that you would discover not just your own searching for God, but God's searching for you. And I hope that this morning, if you do not know Christ, that you would receive him and be saved by him. And if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, I want to remind you, we have no interest in being mere churchgoers. We want to be a people of the truth, who bear witness to the truth, who listen and cling to the truth. We want to know what God has said. We want to welcome what God has said. We won't always like it at first, but we receive it because we receive him, because he is the truth. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are truth, and we live in a world of confusion. You have granted us access to truth by your Spirit, through your Son, Jesus. 
It is our desire that we would be a people of the truth, that we would cling to Jesus' words. We would hold tightly to them, even when it feels like everything around us is crumbling, that we would go with Jesus, that we would bear witness to the truth. We would be a people who speak the truth in love, that we wouldn't separate love and truth. We would bind them together and that as we go, we would be known as a people who are radically committed to loving others and radically committed to the truth, your truth, the truth. And I pray for those who are here this morning who do not know you. They don't know your forgiveness. They don't know joy. They don't know peace. They don't know hope. And that is because they have been running from you. And they feel the weight of guilt. And this morning, I want you to please, God, I beg you, give them eyes to see that out of love, you sent Jesus to die for them, to rescue them, to save them while they were in their sins. So that they might be redeemed and made new. So that they might have peace with you. We pray that for those who do not know you this morning. We offer our lives and our hands up to you that we would be a church and a people of the truth in a world filled with confusion. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.